And that's exactly what happened. I had a plan and I got punched in the face and it just went all out the window. As you can imagine, for someone who leads a digital agency focused on transforming brands, spending time talking to the head of digital transformation for UEFA got me a wee bit excited. I wasn't allowed to fully geek out with Craig because Phil gets bored and when he gets bored, he causes trouble. But there were some real highlights in this episode. One of the things I loved was listening to Craig talk about digital transformation being more than just the technology, actually being about the people and capacity building and that side of the journey. Super important when it comes to digital transformation. I loved listening to Craig's career journey and how he's constantly learned and evolved over the years. Going right back to his early passions and how his early passions have fueled his career. Also, listening to his life at UEFA and some of how that digital transformation journey has gone at such a global brand such as UEFA. It's a brilliant episode. I'm sure you'll get lots from it. So please sit back, enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe, to share, to leave us a review and enjoy this episode of the Wonderful People podcast. Welcome, Craig. And uh, the first question we ask all of our guests is not is not why uh, Phil Jones is so handsome. The first question we ask all of our guests is, if you could be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be and why? Right, that there's so many options, so many ideas I've got for that question. Um, I had a few different thoughts, but, but the one person that I'd absolutely love to meet and I think it would be an absolute blast to be stuck in a lift with, would be Al Pacino. <laughs> and actually... I hope I don't know if anyone else has said Al Pacino. No, they haven't. He is an absolute legend. Um, and actually, interestingly, there's quite a, there's a bit of backstory there as well. Um, I mean, not only I was obsessed with The Godfather from a young age. I think my right. dad got me to watch The Godfather when I was quite young. I then got quite obsessed with with that movie, and, and Al Pacino obviously being a key part of that. Um, that actually formed part of my actually my, my my navigation into technology and digital through, through that through that film. But, uh, but Al Pacino, yeah, I mean, just an absolute legend. Imagine, imagine that, that those those gravelly tones of his voice, um, and I would get him to recite uh, that inch by inch from any given Sunday. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Right, yes, inch yes. by inch. When uh, how much would that get you, like up and inspired and kind of like motivated? And uh, so yeah, I'd love to him to recite that in a lift. That'd be pretty epic. Mm-hmm. That, that is a good answer. Yeah. That is a good answer. It's kind of like a scary lift, but a, yeah, like a a brilliant yeah. lift as well. Yeah, that's a, that's excellent. <laughs> so, so Craig, obviously you've had an incredible career in terms of huge global roles at Nokia, Microsoft, Tata Communications, and as well as your current role. But take us a step back. Do you remember your first experience of sort of technology or multimedia, as it used to be called? You know, mm. and, and was there a moment where you realised, hang on, this is the career for me? Actually, I, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. It's one of those moments where you, you, you kind of, you always kind of like stuck in my, my mind. Um, I used to actually, my dad worked for the Daily Record uh, newspaper, uh, which was kind of part of the Mirror Group newspapers for, for many years. Um, and he actually got me, I remember I was quite young, as what were called copy boys. So they were kind of runners in newspapers. Um, and it was an incredible experience at a young age to sort to, to, to of being amongst that kind of editorial um kind of news experience um, and so I worked there for, for many years 
Um, and they used to have these old green terminals that all the, the sub and the editors would sit in front of these kind of old-fashioned kind of cream green screen kind of terminals. And, and one year, I remember, they all got replaced by Apple Macs. So all right. of a sudden, desktop publishing became a big thing. Um, I can't remember the exact year. It must have been like 95, uh, maybe before that. Um, and they brought in all these new Apple Macs. Um, and I just remember just thinking, you know, they look incredible. Um, uh, and I was always into a little bit of tech anyway. So I remember sort of some of the, my manager asking me if I could kind of help set up some of the Apple Mac computers. And I was doing some desktop publishing and I was kind of just playing around, just learning different skills. Um, and it was kind of giving me an idea of, you know, things that I wanted to do as I was going to college uh, or university. And I remember somebody calling me over, they downloaded a browser called Mosaic. Um, it was the very NCAS Mosaic, the very first web browser, um, I think released in 1994. Um, and then just showing me the internet and just showing me like these kind of text-based websites. Uh, and I just remember just thinking the potential of being able to access all of that information um, at the touch of a keyboard uh, was pretty incredible. So that was kind of the moment where I just remember I definitely want to do something. I got very quickly actually started learning to code HTML and sort of building websites and, and, and setting up, uh, helping friends set up kind of content and things like that for web pages. So that was kind of the early days, just really getting into kind of technology, learning about web and, and back then. So that, that was that moment where I thought I definitely want to do something around this space. And as you said, multimedia was kind of the big space at the time. So at university, it was kind of multimedia courses, so it was all doing stuff in Macromedia. Uh, Phil will probably remember that, Macromedia. Uh, back in the days, it was all kind of multimedia platforms and CD-ROMs that you'd get free with a magazine. So designing all the platforms and, and, and content you could put onto that. But then the idea of being able to get that online and put that onto a website that could be accessible you know, directly in real time was quite an, access, uh, an exciting idea. So that was kind of that moment where I thought, Definitely, I didn't really know what that was going to look like, but that was kind of that moment where I thought, this is for me. Brilliant. Now, Craig, uh, digital transformation has been a buzzword that uh, now makes up half of your job title. Uh, what does it actually mean <laughs> for a brand like UEFA? Well, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's used, it's been used quite a lot over the years, kind of what does it mean? Interestingly enough, it's probably less about technology. Um, it, it's probably more related to kind of building capability. Um, so over the years, obviously, through the years that I've been in sort of web and, and digital and social, and I've kind of evolved more from technology, uh, building tech platforms, content management systems, really helping organizations better get to grips with how to, you know, automate, digitize, kind of, you know, processes and things within their organizations, everything from internal platforms through to kind of B2B and B2C. I've kind of worked across all the different areas. Um, and what's always interesting is over the years, the technology has advanced. There's been more and more like an abundance of technology that's got you know, cheaper, more accessible. And that's one of the reasons I absolutely love tech. It's like, it was one of those things, that idea of um, putting so much potential um, in the hands of anyone to create anything they wanted, businesses, content, ideas, creatives, music, art, um, and because I come from that sort of creative mindset. So the idea of this technology being able to empower people to do incredible things has always been kind of the heart of, of, of what I've thought about. 
But the interesting sort of dichotomy has always been that as more technology um, develops, it actually starts to become more complicated, not easier. Uh, you start to see just the amount of agencies, the amount of companies building new incredible technology platforms. You start to realize that actually just implementing uh, the solutions and the platforms, um, you think that's going to be the kind of tick. We, we've kind of done that now. You realize quickly that's, that's actually just the start of the issue. The real challenge is having the, the capabilities and the skills, um, having the people and processes in place to make that, that technology work uh, seamlessly, to make it actually integrate and make people's life easier. Um, I think for so many years you go in and there's always been that kind of IT headaches and all the challenges with technology and people tend to kind of you know, get frustrated with technology and actually it should be the opposite. And that's always got me quite angry. Because I feel like technology should make things easier. It should uh, provide solutions, not more challenges. Um, so from a transformation point of view, back to your question, Phil, the way I sort of think about it as I've kind of matured and evolved over the years in my roles is I've actually realized a lot of it really is about people. It's about building, um, building great teams. It's about really finding talented people uh, from all different walks of life, from different backgrounds, who have a passion for technology, but a passion to make it accessible and easy for businesses to, to use um, and to access. So, and, and also with that, it's actually creating the right, um, I would say creating the right frameworks so that you actually have um, the right teams working a, a alongside each other, uh, getting them to produce the right products, launch those um, into the market. Um, and so for me, it really has been always about building really strong teams and getting them to work together, getting them to achieve you know, incredible things together um, and building that out. So for me, transformation is less about technology and, and from a digital point of view, and it's more about really bringing those, bringing those processes and people together um, and making sure that they can actually deliver um, you know, seamless experiences to both the business, but also to your customers. Speaking about delivery, Craig, you know, what kind of things have you been working on since you up sticks and moved to Switzerland? Is it four years now? Four years ago? Yeah, I know. Yeah, four years, uh, 2018. Uh, it's kind of been a strange four years. Obviously, two years of those was was fantastic and two years has been a little bit challenging for, for obvious reasons we won't go into. But um, yeah, look, amazing things. It's an incredible organisation. Moving with the family, firstly, the family experience of taking the kids and, and Jane, my wife, out to Switzerland was um, was obviously a it was a big change to to our life, but it was exciting. Um, it had its ups and downs, um, but it really, uh, but first and foremost, really about that family experience, and obviously the the beautiful HQ that we have in a, in a place called Neon, just in between Lausanne and Geneva, just on the Lake Geneva. Um, and the lakes there is incredible. So it's a beautiful kind of setting, um, and and again, it's an incredible organisation. Um, and so you know, it was quite a privilege to be honest to get the role and go out there. Um, and so for them, really, it was about they could their business is obviously in you know, television uh, rights business. The the partnership and sponsorship business is obviously where you know predominantly that that's been focused on. Um, but there was obviously a, a big demand from partners from across the different ecosystem in sport that digital is playing an, an increasingly important role in, in sport and football. Um, and so really my role was to go out there and, and, and support, as I said, building the, the team out, really building out the different product teams, um, 
and initially there was a there was a product called UEFA for TV, uh, which was our OTT platform um, that we launched early on. So that was kind of the first big project, which for me was quite an exciting opportunity to kind of work in something that was you know, relatively new for me in terms of knowledge and capability. But but very quickly was able to kind of build a team, work with really good partners, put together a a, a strong strategy with our management team and and launch UEFA TV. So that's something you know highlight if anyone wants to go and download. Uh, UEFA.tv, you're welcome. Uh, everyone that's into their football will love it. Uh-huh. Uh, you get all the, the best highlights and all the great matches. But what was really exciting about that project, more importantly, was um, it was a it was a fantastic way for us really to get uh, a lot of our youth matches, a lot of our youth football, the women's game, um, a lot of other, we have a huge amount of competitions that maybe don't um, get the same amount of attention on traditional kind of television. So uh, it was a way for us to really promote a lot of those other competitions to the market through UEFA TV and enable us to go direct to that fan and, and build those direct relationships. So that's kind of what we've we, we focused on, really building out those, building out a much stronger relationship with fans, really understanding what content they want, how they want to engage with, with the game um, and developing that out. Um, so that's been really exciting and we're kind of learning quite a lot from that. How did the kids get on with the language? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was hard. Don't get me wrong. I think because uh, obviously it's in the French part of Switzerland, um, beautiful. As I said, um, we decided actually there's obviously the international school was an option, but we, we were in this beautiful village called Fune, um, Fune as they say. Um, probably saying it wrong, but uh, even not been there a long time, uh, can never quite get that French accent. Uh, don't know why not. Maybe it's from Glasgow, uh, but. Uh, the kit, yeah, with this beautiful, we lived in this beautiful village and just uh, just off the lake, uh, and we decided there was a some really good local schools, and I just think from an integration point of view, just kind of like getting to really integrate into the community, um, we decided to to put them into local school. The challenge was that was obviously all in French, even to the point where the teachers, maybe if they, even if they did speak English, they didn't they didn't say they did, so it was all very much in French. So the kids found it quite hard for a few months, but at that age, uh, you know, still quite young, um, they were able to pick it up. Uh, so you know, both of them, I would say, my older son picked it up maybe quicker. He picked it up within three months, maybe. I've actually was just looking at a video last week of him speaking French um, from from when we were over there, and his accent and everything's fantastic, and oh, you know, he became very kind of proficient. So both of them, yeah, they picked it up and, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great experience. And, and beyond just the language, it was you know, getting to you know, learn to ski, uh, spending time in the mountains, on the lake, you know, learning to sail. So there was all these kind of additional benefits for the, for the family. Um, and so when in the winter in Switzerland, you tend to spend a lot of time up in the mountains um, for obvious reasons, just to get out into the snow and up into the mountains and ski inside of it. And then in the winter, you've obviously got, uh, sorry, in the summer, you have the lake. So it's, it's a beautiful place to be just down by the lake. Um, but yeah, the kids picked it up well. Um, unlike his, their, their father, myself, I've, uh, I've tried, but it's so hard. It's so hard to, to learn language as you get older. So we won't put you on the spot and ask for a little bit of French. We won't do that. You can do. It might be all. Uh, yeah, I've got a famous quote, but yeah, probably not. It won't go across well. <laughs> I just wanted to say, Craig, um, the answer your your answer around digital transformation was absolutely brilliant. Just around the people and processes, and I think so often people think digital transformation is just the tech itself, and actually forget yeah. the fact that it really is the people and processes and teams that is there to transform. 
you know, it's not there to transform itself. It's there to transform people's lives and how they work. No, exactly, Dan. But it's like, as I said, I think just because with any, I suppose, with any any um, space that goes through massive sort of technological transformation, um, there tends to be a huge amount of businesses and opportunities that arise. So everyone's trying to create solutions to problems, sometimes yeah. even to things that problems that don't exist. But there's just a, a volume of, of of applications and solutions that kind of get put into the market. They're all very well marketed, very well sold. They basically say, you know, out the box, plug and play, up and running. It will just, you know, it will make your life absolutely, you know, really, really easy until you get it up and running and realize there's another 10 things that you still have to think about. And so, it, it, you know, a lot of solutions and technology has been driven not just to solve the problem, but to create more opportunities for more technology to kind of plug into. So I think there's been, you know, and that's been one of, I suppose, the disappointing thing, you know, as someone who's... You know, love technology love this space um, I, I'm really sort of hopeful that we'll start and I, I believe it's happening in, in some areas where the technology is becoming really frictionless it's just it just works it's just plug and play it works it does what it says it needs to do and it actually does deliver the kind of promise that you expect um, and I think for a long time in different areas technologies always struggle with that um, I mean that's why social media became a huge I think from a you know when we moved from kind of websites, going back to the point when I started designing websites uh, back um, in the early days, sort of Web 1.0, you know, a lot of the people that came to me didn't understand how to get something up and running. So there was a lot of people that were building solutions and technology. And so I set up a web design company to help people build websites. But then the problem became, well, how do you manage the content on the site? So therefore, then you had to kind of charge additional services to, to manage all the content. Then we had the kind of evolution of CMS platforms, which again solved the problem, but then generated a whole bunch of new issues. So I think when when things like you know Facebook, Twitter, um, you know LinkedIn, Facebook, all of these platforms now became a way that you did ha you didn't need any technical capability to be able to get content onto onto the internet, and and ultimately that was that seamless experience of just like plug and play, download the app, you know start typing, and and, and it's out there to the world. That, that essentially became the platform and that's why everybody kind of really adopted the internet to, to the masses and um, and it became such a predominant part of our lives because that technology was so accessible by everyone. Um, but then that obviously came with a lot of its own challenges from a commercial point of view and, and you know, other areas. Um, but that that really, you know, is, is I think, the, the constant evolution of, of how do you, how do you, you know, evolve with technology, enable the right people to use it, so that it can be it can deliver the promise that's expected. Sure. Well, t taking a step back from that, Craig, and looking at the industry you're in now, obviously you're in the sports sector, and you're dealing with a plethora of platforms, you know, technologies, teams, content. And what do you what would you say are some of the the challenges that you sort of see in the sports sector when it comes to content and how it's consumed and and, and the evolution of it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, challenges and problems are probably, it's, it's more the fact that, um, you know, there's there's obviously physical limitations with the amount of people that can access a, a, live, a live game as in physically being there. So, you know, there's nothing beats the, the stadium experience. I think, as you all know, going to, going to a, any kind of sporting event live and being there, soaking up the atmosphere is kind of, you can't really, there's nothing that comes close to matching that. Um, 
However, there's obviously a lot of people that you know, can do that and, and, and watch it on their televisions or devices. And, and again, you know, that's an experience you get to, you know, experience it and not miss out on that, that event. However, there's there's obviously then, you know, there's another layer um, beyond that um, in terms of, you know, how do you start to create um, or use technology and solutions to kind of create that more immersive experience and how do you create, there's always there's such a demand for more content like they want to see more, they want to get behind the scenes. There's there's a huge amount of opportunity around not just the game itself, but everything else. And so really it's how do you how do you start to build and you know and how do you start to create the content and the experience and the platforms and, and deliver that in a way that fans want to experience it. And obviously you're trying to do that in amongst a lot of the challenges with the rights um, in different markets. Um, a lot of the you know challenges we have with it obviously with partners and sponsors and how that content is delivered in different markets. So you're constantly kind of trying to think about what's the fan experience um, with what the, the complexity is of, of, of the rights and, and the partners and, and bringing that together. And that's where I think we've seen, you know, one of the things I would say is since, since moving into sport and UEFA is just the volume and the amount of incredible technology and, and innovation in that space. There's so many incredible businesses and startups and, um, entrepreneurs trying to solve some of those challenges, uh, everything from sort of like video and OTT technology through to kind of immersive technology through to AI. Um, um, you know, we've obviously seen the rise of NFTs and all that kind of web three thing happening now, which is which is interesting. So there's 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 just a huge amount of again going back to that that challenge is it's what's the right technologies that we need to deliver the solutions for the fans that actually, you know, create that kind of new immersive experiences. That's something that we're kind of trying to, always trying to figure out and, and improve upon. Um, but but as I said, I think you never, you know, I don't think you ever take away from that kind of experience of physically being there. Um, and there's always been discussions about how do you bring digital to the stadium? How do you... And, and I think people for a long time were thinking about it the wrong way. It was more about how do you get content to people at the stadium on their devices from a from a sporting point of view. But actually, I think the technology, what I've seen is what people want is the technology to better help them um, get to the stadium, right. get to their seat, uh, make their experience better just from a pure logistical point of view, um, You know, ordering food, um, paying for things. So I think a lot of stadiums and a lot of um, sporting organisations are looking at actually the technologies about the experience of being there, um, whereas the actual content of the of the match itself, um, that's really about kind of how do you get that to people that aren't at the, the game itself so that you're not really interfering with that live experience but making it a better one. I think that's kind of how I think about it and I think you know most of the industry are moving towards that, that thought process as well. Brilliant. Um, on a, on a personal level, Craig, t- tell us something about yourself that people might not know. There's a oh, wide question hell. for you, isn't it? Yeah, so much, Phil, but what do I want to release? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I think it's probably no, no secret that, um, that I think, obviously, like from a fitness point of view, I've, I've kind of went through different phases in my life where... Um, I kind of maybe, I don't know, actually, it's a good Wait, point. White, white collar boxing, I remember you doing last year. You get the, oh, you were pounding someone to get yeah. you on. <laughs> it's amazing you reminded me of that. Yes, actually, good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was actually, it was, it was, I remember the time I was flying back from, 
every year at the start of the year, like, I don't know, but you know, you guys, you kind of come into that new year. There's always a kind of you know dry January. There's always these set challenges. I was flying back from from Tenerife, I think, with the family on the plane, and this thing popped up on Facebook. It was kind of like a it was cancer research, um, looking to raise money, uh, for for the for that charity, and the idea was basically to sign up for a white collar boxing match, and I literally just went why not? And I signed up for it before we took off in the plane. When we landed, I got the email through and, and it said, you kind of signed up, like come to this, this, um, this kind of boxing uh, training gym uh, in East Grinstead, like two weeks later. So I turned up um, and, and yeah, started training for three months. Uh, you know, obviously really good cause. My mum had actually, she'd had cancer. Um, luckily she's had it twice, but she's recovered. But, so it was kind of quite close to my heart at the time just to kind of do do my bit to kind of make sure we could raise some good money. So yeah, so that was an amazing experience really, just you know, learning to learning to box, learning, experiencing the exceptional fitness required uh to go through that. Um and then the whole training process and then sort of doing the, the matchup um like a week before the weigh in, uh, so <laughs> to speak. Um so it was really yeah, it was it's funny, I think about it now, and I, 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 I don't know if I could do it again. I'd love to, but I, I don't think I was thinking about how how challenging it would be to actually, not just the training, but then on the day, stepping inside the ring in front of like 2,000 people wow. with somebody wanting to kind of, you know, punch your head off. Um, <laughs> and, when we, and it was interesting because we'd done the sparring for obviously three months and the training, and that was hard. But I, st- I started enjoying the sparring part of it. Um, and obviously, you're, you're still hitting each other, and still, you're still getting, you know, tagged and stuff in the in the head but you know it's more of a sparring so you're not getting that full impact but I remember sparring thinking this isn't too bad I can take that you know and I got quite a few you know you know punches to the head but I thought it's not too bad and literally when that bell rang on that night in the ring um I just remember probably not really thinking um and my my heart rate had sort of just started to go up my adrenaline was just kicking in but I hadn't really got into the moment until I remember I just got punched like straight bang in the center of the head, like in the face, right on the nose. Um, and and I remember thinking, honestly, through my head, I went, you know, oh my, this is real. Um, and and there was that famous Mike Tyson quote, wasn't there? It was like, you know, uh, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's exactly what happened. I had a plan and I got punched in the face and it just went all out the window. It was just survive. Um oh. And so that was quite a, that was three, three, three rounds of probably the, the longest uh, three rounds um, of time that I've ever went through. Uh, phenomenal amount of fitness required to do it. Uh, but yeah, actually, yeah, I, I won the fight, luckily. Um, <laughs> so that I could actually retire with one and all. Look at that. Unbeaten, undefeated. Unbeaten, undefeated. That's, that's <laughs> the record. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Going back to business, so you moved Brandside early on yeah. in your career and became the one buying services rather than selling them. Um, what did you look for in an agency when selecting partners? And similarly, how did you go about deciding what technologies to focus your time on versus those that you chose to sideline? I think I think the first thing really was you spend a, a bit of time internally sort of orientating kind of organization really understanding um you know what what the organization is needing um 
there's a lot of tendency, I think, and I've seen this happen a lot, and I've, I've fallen foul of it as well. You kind of you jump in and you think you know what the answer is, and you think you know the solution to the problem, um, and you kind of jump out. Uh, you know, I've done that several times. It's one of those traps that you always fall in because you're kind of thinking, I know how to fix this. Um, but what you realise is you, don't, you didn't really inherently know the issue in the first place. So I think spending a bit of time really building building out an understanding of the the real challenges, not the ones that you believe them to be. So sometimes they're more, I mean, sometimes they're more integral to kind of the business operations. Sometimes it's the politics. Sometimes it's the, the financial part of a business, the, the, the different operating models. So I think spending more time, and one of the things I always say, spend a lot of time just really understanding you know, the deep workings of the organization um, and, and the business. And at the time, um, as I said, from a Nokia point of view, they were going through obviously a challenging time when Apple had launched the iPhone and they were really looking to to figure out, you know, what, what the future looked like. So, you know, a big part of what we believed at the time was that we had, you know, a huge amount of you know, love for the Nokia brand, uh, their devices, their phones. Um, you know, across the world, you know, well established. I mean, I think everybody, I, I don't think anyone's not had a Nokia phone and it's a, an intent, you know, a really important part of their, you know, their life as they move through and to kind of getting a mobile phone and what that meant to kind of, you know, transforming their, their way of communicating. So we had such an amazing amount of brand um, uh, love. So really it was then about really understanding how you maintain that and really understanding the feedback of fans, sorry, of customers at the time and the fans of that brand and really building building that out and learning. So there was a huge amount of work we did on research, looking at real tools and platforms that could help us better understand, you know, what customers were wanting from, from the product, really understanding that feedback loop. Um, and then I think early on, there was a sort of maybe before the kind of influencer uh, programs have really kicked off and became famous. We did a lot around real kind of brand ambassadors um, and really, un, you know, get you know, working with the communities in each of those markets and really understanding um, the customers uh, at the heart. So there was a huge amount really of just understanding the business and understanding those core challenges. And I think once you once you get to that, I think actually finding the technology and the solutions becomes a lot easier. Um, um, and so, yeah, so I think really it was just a kind of marrying up the, the, the challenges and then kind of really tapping into some of the technologies and the platforms that were becoming available. And that was really kind of the early kind of web 2.0 days when you know, social media was becoming a lot more um, popular and there was a lot more, um, obviously, mobile apps. So there was, a, there, was a much, um, there was a much easier way, there was a far greater way to actually connect in with customers and get those get that feedback and build that community and build those relationships. So so for me, there was there was a lot of technology moving into that space. Um, and so once we understood those challenges, we could really tap into the, the technology that existed at that time. Um, so yeah, probably. Enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. I mean, there's a lot there, there's a lot there, Craig. And I suppose, you know, you mentioned Nokia, you know, a couple of times, but Looking back at Microsoft, Nokia, Tata, a whole bunch of brands you've been with, has there been some standout moments, or if you kind of can you pin a couple of you know proud career moments? Yeah, so many. Um, probably STA Travel. Interesting enough, one of the when I first started working, uh, that that was an incredible experience. A, a well loved student travel uh, brand. 
getting to obviously travel the world, uh, launching kind of our content management system and, and sort of helping them transform their business from a from a traditional kind of bricks and mortar travel agent to kind of taking them online into the kind of booking online booking world. That was working with IBM out of Germany, uh, meeting just some of the most incredible people and, and, and building relationships up around the world and just learning how technology has been developed and how you know inter- the internet, the web was being kind of established in different markets back back then. That that was a very you know a very exciting time for me. Um, got some incredible leadership um, to work with at the time, uh, the founder of ST Travel and some of the leadership there and working, as I said, with IBM, some really, really smart people. So that was definitely a moment where I kind of remember kind of really sort of maturing and growing up and really understanding the space. And that was kind of a big, big project. Um, so thoroughly enjoyed the time there. Um, and then, yeah, I think Obviously, then transitioning into actually from there, I went across actually into a company called OpenText, um, but actually it was Red Dot at the time, and the, and it was really kind of I went from helping brands solve some of the challenges to then kind of really working on the on the B two B side, really sort of selling some of those solutions, um, and that was a bit of a whirlwind tour of just traveling around the states and, and different places to kind of really help them. Um, you know, understand the kind of what was Web2 or social media kind of world and then really building that into kind of an enterprise platform. Craig, what, what are you most excited about for 2022? What, what are the bits of tech that you see as potentially the big game changers? Uh, well, at the moment, I've kind of got heavily into the kind of Web3. Have you guys, you guys sort of picked up in the... You went down the rabbit hole of Web three yet? Dan's nodding. Look, Dan's in. Yeah, Dan's already yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's. In fact, I had a conversation about two hours ago with around the metaverse. I've been started to invited to events in the metaverse. You know, it's it's rapidly becoming a, a you know a conversation with brands. Yes, so it's an interesting space um, for sure. Um, I think I first got introduced to. If we sort of go into the fundamentals of it, I got interested in kind of blockchain technology. I think early when it was at ST Travel, um, I picked up. I think it was kind of when Bitcoin, um, it was like when Bitcoin had first kind of like started hitting the mainstream, really understanding the blockchain um, and understanding that technology. And then you know I've sort of I've always kind of kept an eye on it, but I've never really spent a lot of time getting into the depth of understanding. Right. That what it means, where it's going, what's been developed, and I pray, probably in the last year, um, I decided through I don't know different signals that I started to feel and, the, and different people around me started to talk about it. So I, I took the time to really get deep into understanding it more, um, and and that obviously manifestation of things like NFTs, um, obviously with Facebook rebranding as Meta, um, you know that that obviously brought a lot of attention to the space, but. What, what I actually found has been a huge, I suppose, to some degree, a revolution um, under the radar with a lot of people really building out a whole new infrastructure of decentralization, um, you know, decentralized banking, um, you know, things called DAOs, which are these kind of decentralized autonomous organizations. There's all this kind of new jargon, new tech um, but at the, at the core of it, really, is, I think trying to get my head around what, what what does this mean? Why is this happening? What what's the benefit? Will this actually um, will this gain you know mass adoption? And, and obviously, time will tell. 
But I think at the heart of it, really, it's about, you know, and I sort of was thinking about this earlier, where Web1 really, as I talked about, is, you know, it's a kind of decentralised websites, you know, accessible, but not really easy to kind of use. Web2 kind of brought platforms and social, and that became a kind of mass adoption where everyone could kind of get on board without any technical capability. But it was very centralised, and it was all monetized and commercialised around data. Um, and, and I think what we're seeing is, Interestingly, a sort of shift back to decentralization um, where actually people can start to um, own their own IP, being able to kind of launch their own, you know, own their own content, being able to you know, connect with, build communities, connect with people and the technology is being developed in order for people to do that without having to centralize that through one you know, core, core platform. So I think that the premise of it is, is interesting um, and I think... There's different aspects, and I think you touched on metaverse. This, you know, I think the holy grail of a kind of interoperable kind of world, virtual world, where everyone can kind of live across different you know, platforms, um, and we'll see those things, and we are seeing those things, you know, being developed. Uh, the tokenization through crypto, um, and, and people having wallets and connecting the crypto to get involved in different projects and, and connect to different applications. Um, and then we're seeing things like these kind of decentralized organizations through DAOs, where you can kind of be, you know, program essentially companies into code so that they can operate a kind of, you know, a decentralized kind of autonomous way. These concepts are, for me, just as somebody that loves technology and loves this space, is, is super interesting. Um, the use cases, I think, are, you know, there's so many incredible use cases. The question will really be, how will the technology, going back to what I said earlier, will it be accessible? Will it be something that will actually deliver the promise that it that, that it sets out to do? Right. And I think those will be the key questions. Um, I think most of it at the moment is still quite complicated, hard to, to work out. Um, there's different aspects to it. There's different, sort of, I suppose, different camps, different religions in terms of within that space, really looking, some people are kind of very religious about one part of the technology versus another. So really, it's about how those things um, are developed over time. Uh, but I, I personally, I think it's going to be, um, I think we could be seeing the start of a fundamental shift um, in terms of how technology, monetization, ownership, IP um, is going to happen. And I think what we will find is the middle. So in other words, the kind of middleware, all of the middle solutions, all those technologies I talked about earlier that were meant to solve problems, just created more middleware solutions. I think we're going to see potentially a lot of the middle sort of start to be essentially kind of deleted um, and, and moved out as people can actually go directly from, you know, brand, company, content, directly to person yeah. with a seamless kind of financial platform in the middle that kind of automates that whole process. That, that, if it can be delivered, I think is exceptionally exciting and I think there's a lot of potential to kind of, you know, build upon the back of that. Yeah, I agree with that, Craig. And just a couple of anecdotal points from my side is that I'm having more and more conversation with, <clears throat> excuse me, with brands, with startups that are all, you know, they're, they're beginning to focus their technology suite, their customer journeys all across blockchain. Um, I had a conversation just a couple of hours ago about metaverse and wanting to create web platforms that connect into the metaverse. And, you know, they're talking naively, they're talking conceptually, but they're talking about it. You know, it's becoming yeah. the lingo and the buzzword amongst brands. And the other the other sort of um, 
response to what you're saying anecdotally is my 12 year old comes out of school the other day and he said dad have you invested in any nfts i said not yet why he said i oh, know you should do I was like, thank you, financial advisor, 12-year-old Asher. And he said, what about what Bitcoin? How many Bitcoin wallets have you got? I was like, where did all this come from? He said, oh, no, we're talking about it at school today. Yeah, and then, he, you know, and I thought, must have my 12-year-old is coming up. His mind is getting educated on Bitcoin, NFTs. And he started right. saying, oh, Kobe Bryant's got this NFT and these guys own this. And that that's what they're being educated in. You know, so I thought to myself, you know, whether how quickly we adopt it as brand and marketing leaders, the next generation are already adopting it. It's their mindset. You know, they're already being trained in it, talking about it. Absolutely. Dan, no, I think that's what I also I think it was another signal that I, I noticed because when my kids, uh, they spend a lot of time in, in Roblox. Uh, from right, Roblox. yes. Um, and interesting, we were in Switzerland, my, my oldest son, Connor, uh, was so into it that we kind of put him into uh, Geneva Business School running a, a weekend sort of coding club cool. um, and so we got him he, he was just so interested in it we thought we'll send him along and see if he enjoys it and he sort of learned to kind of code in python and, and you know unreal engine so all of those kind of technologies and then he started to learn how to market on youtube how to build the brand of his games and and you know at, at sort of 10 11 years old this was incredible for him to kind of pick this up and he started to kind of help me better understand the psychology of of, of, of yeah. how this worked and to your point um you know I, even in the last few years you know every bit of birthday money they get all the money that they get they just want to transition that across into kind of some kind of digital currency so they're they're already they're already living in that space their, That's right. their community their friends their their social life is very heavily in, in fifa and roblox and Fortnite. that's where they spend time and so they're already being i suppose um they're already building that mindset and understanding and awareness of that's just norm that's normal behavior that's not new so living in those kind of virtual worlds and in that space so as much as a lot i do see some challenges with it i think i still we we're very make sure that our kids still you know we do a lot of sport we yeah. still restrict a lot of the time they spend there because i think um there's a there's been a consumer of it because i've tried to explain this to our, to our kids you can sit back and consume the content or you can be a creator and so we, we very much try to encourage them to, to think about creating uh, content, creating ideas and building solutions rather than just being the pure consumer of that, of that, of those games and that platform. Um, and to your point, now what we see is kind of, as you said, big business, big brands, uh, the kind of web tool world of money and VCs all moving across. So you start to see the money, the talent move into the space. You start to see the new generation already kind of accustomed to that way of of thinking and you start to see those two things come together um yeah i would say it's going to be very very interesting i mean there's like always a gold rush as well though there's always a big jump nfts have got this kind of massive you know highly kind of high expectations of the value of them these collectibles which i think is is interesting and i think there will always be space for that but i think the long-term kind of use cases will be more um more utility, more integrated, more value to, to your everyday kind of digital consumer or user. There'll be more things that will enable us to do that are not necessarily about spending vast amounts of money on these collectibles. As much as I think they're, they're exciting and interesting and I do believe there is value there if the community believes there to be and the technology can deliver it, I don't think that's purely the, the use case that's going to be the long-term one that will see us yeah, all going towards it. 
Yeah, agreed. Just, Craig, a slightly different question. Um, you mentioned earlier on about leadership and kind of just, you know, that journey that you've been on and putting th- different people around you. What, I mean, this is a big question and, you know, maybe just dive into one or two points, but what are some of the key things that you've seen in your career that makes a good leader? And not necessarily just a leader in business, but in the brand space or a content space or a business space. And have you have you worked in when your career has really inspired you in that area? Yeah, uh, it's something, yeah, I think I've went through it as well. Um, and then you start to realise what, what great leadership looks like. Um, and so for me, there's probably, and I've got an interesting quote actually that, that from a book I read um, that I'll come to in a second. But I th- in summary, I think the way I think about great leadership and think about all sort of leaders I've had and, and how I've thought about it is... Um, when you're younger and you sort of move up and you sort of become a manager of people, um, I think your instinct is always to kind of manage. So therefore, it's to kind of, in, in other words, control and manage and kind of be in charge. Um, and, and you think, right, well, you need to be, because you're the boss, you're in charge, you need to know everything that's going on. You need to direct everything. You need to be involved in everything. You need to kind of, you know, basically, I suppose, manage the, your resources and your team um, as, as tightly as you can because you think that's kind of what, you know, when you're younger, you feel like you know, that's why you've been given the role to kind of manage people. Um, you soon realise, you know, as you as you as you kind of move up um, and and you get a little bit wiser that, um, you know, hire hire the best hire the best talent. You know, bring in the best people that you can, and you know, en- enable them to do their best work and get out of the way. Um, and so for me, it's the style that I've seen that's always been effective for me is, um, you know, you've hired me, you've brought me in, you, you know, I, I need to learn and develop and I need sort of guidance um, and you need some kind of stewardship. Uh, but what you really want is someone to help you clear the way so that you can kind of move forward. And so I've always found that in those situations I've achieved, you know, some of the, the greatest things that I've done in my career. Therefore, it would make sense that that's how I believe, you know, to, to lead teams. So I think there's an essence of, um, you know, your role, and, and I've always thought about this, is to deal with a lot of the things that maybe just to kind of, you know, a lot of the political challenges, commercial, creating the resource, creating the frameworks, building out the the, the landscape essentially within the organisation so that you could enable your team to move forward um, uh, as quickly and as best they can so that they can deliver their best work. Um I've never really understood why you hire amazing people and then try and manage everything they do. Right. Um, uh, you know, hire great people and enable them to deliver the best work that they want to do. Um, and so that, for me, has always been interesting. The other, the other one was uh, I read a, a few years ago. I read a book by Mark Cuban, um, and it was quite a short book. But it was, I was quite intrigued by Mark Cuban. Uh, I don't know if you know he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, one of the yeah. very early kind of tech entrepreneurs. Um, billionaire but I've always just been intrigued by his mindset and just the, watching him and, and, and sort of seeing how he thinks about things it's always kind of I've always felt like that that's how I think in, in some ways um, he's always very sort of pro-technology he always you know there's always he's always kind of wants to kind of adopt it and kind of seize the best and the, the potential of what it can deliver um, and so interesting I just read one of his books and right at the end I think the last chapter he he puts his email address and he said, if you've got any questions, you know, email them across. 
And and I just thought, I don't know, I just thought, why? I'll, I'll, I'll email just mainly just to see is the, if this guy is saying this, um, it'll be interesting to see if he does respond. And and, and so I, it must have been like one of, I was sitting having a pint in the pub, uh, finishing the book. I wrote the email to him. And I think the question I asked him was, um, what's the one thing in business that you believe to be true that others um, would argue with or something like that? So it's the idea of what's the one thing he believes that most people would disagree with? Um, um, and I think it's a, a famous question asked by, by a few other entrepreneurs. So I wanted to get his response to it. So I sent an email around, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon. And I, 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 honest to God, by about 2.30 that day or whatever, I had an email response wow. uh, directly back from, from him. And it said, uh, he said, great question. He said, most people believe you need to be ruthless in business to succeed. Uh, he said, I believe it pays to be kind uh, or something like that. It sounds a bit cliche, but, but it was kind of the idea that you need to be ruthless and hard in business to get, get things done. You need to kind of be cut through it. Um, you know, and you do see a lot of that and you feel that there's a lot of that premise that you need to be really kind of like, you know, kind of, whereas actually, you know, being a good person, trying to do the right thing, trying to, for the right reasons, is probably not only morally the right thing to do, but I think it's something that, that, that you know, will, will see you forward and see you through life. Brilliant, brilliant answer. Actually, there's a long-term element to that. If you're, as you're getting old, as I am, if you, as we all are, we're all getting older. Every we're day all getting though. older, but I couldn't get up and do that boxing thing. Uh, but I do think that a lot of the nice things that have happened to me as I've got older have come through things that uh, acts of kindness when I was younger. And you don't even realize it until you're of an age where you're, uh, the, the phone should be going quieter and it actually doesn't yeah. get quiet because the people ringing. They're ringing because they they believe in you, and that quite often it's just the, the kind nature. I went through a few mergers or we merged agencies, and we had different cultures. And the culture I had within my company was very different to the culture in the company we merged. And it was quite interesting to see which one won out over, over the longer term, yes. and the shorter term. It was that was an interesting period. No, I think you're absolutely right, Phil. I mean. You're a great example. It's like, you know, we've known each other a long time. Um, but, I mean, everybody that, that connects with you, the, the amount of things you do for the community and the people um, and, and the kindness, you know, even just at the podge and everything that you, you do, as you said, that, that just goes around, right? It just kind of it creates a good feeling. It means that, you know, as I said, people come and support you for, for whatever you need to do. And there's, as I said, it's finding those people in, in business and in life that, as I said, that's not always what's in it for them. They're, they're doing things for the sake of, as you said, it's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to support. It feels right. Um, and and the, you know, and the people that maybe have taken a different path, as you said, in, in future life, may find that there's not a lot of people around them, you know, to support them in, in the next stages of their yeah I'm their challenges. Um, we're running out of time, and Dan, I think you're going to finish up with a last Dan question. Final question. Final question, Craig, and it's a deep oh, and no. meaningful oh, one. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's like, as an agency, we try and 
take the complex problems that our clients have and just make something wonderfully simple. That's like our, our mantra. And so what's one of life's complexities you'd like to be see made simpler? This is one of the things I'm quite passionate about as well. Um, I've got so many funny responses to that. Um, <laughs> I, do, do you know what I'd say? Probably like one of the challenges that I think everyone is, how can I phrase this? So probably one of the other most important aspects of people's lives, just like money and finance um, and just um, understanding wealth, understanding assets, understanding value. Um, and it's it's one of those things that um, I think is made to be exceptionally complex um, for, for obvious reasons. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity, I think, to simplify that for people and just help people better understand um, better understand just how to get through that. I mean, it's one of the things that we talk to our kids about. It's like better understanding the, the value of things, understanding assets, understanding finance, not just to, just to kind of manage your life, but obviously not just to kind of get wealthy, but to understand how it works and how it, you know, how it flows. So I think one of the things is really about how um, I think in life, simplifying the whole kind of financial understanding, um, making people better understand their, 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 their money and their wealth and their value and being able to really kind of um, streamline that. That's one of the areas that I think is overly complicated. Um, and, and it's interesting with the kind of new age kind of, you know, the sort of um, the change to the whole kind of modernization of banking systems um you know, interesting de decentralized finance DeFi. there's a lot of these kind of new technologies that are starting to help people better understand and manage um you know their assets and their wealth and their money um so that they can you know, you know understand it better and, and help them achieve more so that's one of the areas that always thinks um something to do the other area just simply is car hiring i don't know if anyone goes to an airport and tries to hire a car yeah yeah but it Complex. is by, and I swear that it's designed to be as complicated and as you, you book online, you pay by your credit card, you do everything, you turn up, you just want to pick up the keys, get in the car, you turn up, you stand in a queue, you fill out another form, give them more of your details into another system, you pay more money, you get the wrong car, um, the whole, I, you know, it's funny, somebody said that to me the other day, why is it hiring a car is still one of the most painful processes in the world? When you travel, <laughs> it's true. I swear it's one of those industries where they're deliberately making it complex to try and get some more to. money or trying to get, I don't know what it yeah. is, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's not that hard. It is not that hard. Yeah. Uh, what lovely interview, Craig. That was brilliant. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me and Dan. No, guys, enjoyed it. We really hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Wonderful People podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, share and leave a review, especially if the review is about how great the hosts are and how slightly, just ever so slightly better looking I am than Phil Jones. That's a brilliant review. Go ahead, leave that now. Just a quick one with some things that are coming up. Coming up next on the podcast is Minnie Mole, who is the CEO of the Design Council. We've got some fresh topics and fresh questions in this episode, and it's going to be one you'd enjoy very much. So stay tuned and be wonderful.